Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 65. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm happy to be back with Master Horseman Van Hargis. What's new, Van? Hey, Miss Laura. What's new is we've got stuff happening at uh, the Crossroads Ranch down here in Victoria. Excited to say that every, almost every day we've, we're making more and more progress by getting the grand opening going. For those of you who haven't heard, is that we uh, we bought a new facility down here in, in uh, South Texas some time back, and and we're in the process now of kind of redesigning uh, the the facility. It's it's a situation to where. I've had to, I've got the opportunity to do this twice now in my career to where I could take a basically a blank facility and build it from scratch almost the way that I would like to have it done. And uh, so this has been a real fun time for us to be able to get that done. We've got like five or six arenas on the property, Laura. We're going to have uh, an obstacle course built over in another area of the ranch and then um, dormitories, cabins and RV hookups. So it's really set up to be strictly an educational type facility. And I, I can't begin to tell everybody how excited we are to finally get this going. Very cool. So um, we've talked about it before, but I know you'll be, you'll be posting stuff, I guess, maybe in the Facebook page and, and on the website as you have information uh, available as to when the grand opening is going to be, when you're going to start having events there, and maybe some photos so we can get a peek at it. You betcha. I mean, we're taking a lot of photos as we're doing different projects. So we will eventually put all that stuff online, but we want to kind of wait until we can do it in a in a good little chronological state, you know, to where it kind of looks kind of cool as we as we do that. But um, nonetheless, we're still going to have, you know, I get this question a lot when people hear me talk about strictly educational facility. Yeah. And I also do mean it's still educational for the horses, meaning that we're still going to have a training program for the horses as well. I'll still be available to do considerable amount of the training. However, we're going to also incorporate the use of our interns and apprentices to do the same type of training as well. And of course, we'll have different price rates for that. Those who insist on me doing everything, they can pay for my services or they can get a fairly significant discount by having our interns and apprentices do it, of course, under my supervision. Mm -hmm. I still have to put my stamp of approval on everything that the, uh, that the interns do. And sometimes it may take a little bit longer. And if that's the case, I kind of bite the bullet on that. I don't charge the client for something that we're trying to make up for, I guess you could say, from a little bit more time needed for the intern or the apprentice to get it done. But um, we're, we're very excited about that. Well, I was just going to ask, so the, uh, obviously the interns and apprentices you're talking about, they, they are learning kind of your approach to training. Well, boy, it's a touchy subject. I, I don't really know if Van Hargis has a Van Hargis approach. You know, I do things incredibly simple, incredibly basic. I don't really have what I would call my method. There's just some things out there that are just kind of been misconstrued over the years. And then, so what, what I try to do is just try to make things incredibly simple for the students. I teach my students almost the same way as I teach when we're at a horse expo or a clinic. I don't kind of come up with a Van Hargis method or a Van Hargis technique. Uh, my technique is whatever the horse needs at the moment within common sense. In other words, we want to make sure 
that people see things just like it says on my website, training from the horse's perspective. That's that's my version of, I guess you could say, natural horsemanship is training to a, to a point where the horse can understand it. I don't care if it's in every trainer's rule book in the whole world in the past. If the horse doesn't understand it, that means all those rule books, all those years back must really suck. So it, it's got to get to the point to where we as humans can communicate in a way that the horses can understand it. And then the other side of it is just teaching those students to be very persistent and consistent at their leadership. Well, and, and that's, uh, yeah, and that's what I meant. I know, I know you, you're not one who kind of says this is the Van Hargis method for training a horse, but that's exactly what I meant. The approach right. that you take of, you know, safety first, um, becoming a leader, all those kind of things. Anyway. You bet. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Bet. So, so people that, I, I, I think it's important that people who, who might be thinking about bringing a horse to you and working with the interns and the apprentices, having them work with their horse, that they're not just random people that are coming in there doing whatever they want. You're teaching them the things you've learned over the years and, and that approach to working with those horses. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and bottom line is, again, no matter what, no matter whose hands are physically on the horse, the horse has to meet my, uh, my standard of approval before we kind of tell the client, okay, he's ready. <laughs> we want to make sure, we want to make sure those horses are everything that we would want them to be. If it was my own, if it was my own personal horse. All that was a freebie. What are we actually talking about on this episode? <laughs> well, the segue there is we're actually going to be talking about that transition time of when you get your horse home from a trainer. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of folks out there today that send their horses away to a trainer. And the question is, what do you do when you get the horse home? Or let's say you're buying a new horse and you just bought this horse from somebody that you that you think is reputable, you like the horse. What do you do when you get him home? So we're going to talk about that transition time today, Laura, which I think is probably uh, an extremely important time. And I think that for folks who listened to our previous episode, ex- episode 64, I think they will find that there's a, a little bit more of a practical issue of bonding that we talked about last time in this transition segment that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. So what do we need to know to make that transition really successful? Well, first and foremost, whether you're buying a horse or you're having a horse trained, spend as much time with that horse in its previous situation. So in other words, with the, uh, spend as much time with that horse as you can in, in the company of the previous owner, uh, preferably in that environment. And then if you're, when your horse is at the trainer, go to your trainers as frequently as possible and spend as much time as you can with your horse while he's in training. Know what the trainer's doing. Know what the previous owner did. Know what the idiosyncrasies of that horse's behavior are like. Look and observe to see if even the trainer or the previous owner had certain little weird habits that they, that they kind of instilled either on purpose or otherwise uh, onto their horses. See, the more information that you can equip yourself with, then the, the easier it will be when you get the horse home in your own environment to establish that, that transition. And I'm not saying you've got to go home and, you know, like if you're getting the horse from me as your trainer, don't go home and be a van. Just go home and do van-like things as you're transitioning to be who you are and what you're going to do with your horse. That way the horse doesn't literally have wake up one day in one bed and then wake up another day in another, another bed and have to act totally differently in those two separate environments. There's going to be some sort of familiar ground there. And when there's that familiar ground to the horse, then that transition is much, much simpler 
for the horse. And um, so to me, I think I'd, I'd like to see that transition be as smooth and as effortless as possible. And horses are great at adapting anyway. But I would I would like to see that done in a way that it doesn't do anything at all to take away from that horse's confidence and everything that it had prior to coming home, so to speak. What would you say are maybe the biggest mistakes people make or might make uh, during this transition time? One, how can I say this delicately, Laura? Um, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is. Um, they're, they're, they, they lack honesty. They'll, they'll, they'll say it. They'll send a horse to a trainer. Well, I do this myself, except for, I do this myself because I don't have the time. I do this for myself, except for uh, whatever other excuse. I, I hurt my back last week and I, otherwise I, I do this myself. Okay. That's not being very honest. And, and maybe you did hurt your back, but the reality is you sent the horse away to a trainer because you wanted the horse to learn more than what you felt like you had the need to, or you had the knowledge to teach it. Sometimes you do. It is a time issue that you don't have the time to do it and you need somebody else to do it. But either way, I don't care what the reason is for sending a horse away to a trainer. Either way, you have to be able to know what what your what your real knowledge level is, what you know and what you don't know. Be very, very honest with yourself. Be very, very honest with your trainer and be very, very honest with your horse as to what you know and what you don't know. What you know, you want to transition onto that horse uh, gradually. What you don't know, you want to, that's the value of spending the time either with the trainer or with the previous owner. Know what you, or learn what you don't know from those other individuals. So again, that you can take that knowledge and become a better horseman yourself and in turn, make that transition for your horse even smoother and uh, less eventful for you. So the number one thing that I think that people have or that, that we need to work on is our own personal honesty. And, and I guess you could say one of the biggest things that I just, I just don't want anybody to be a know-it-all. You know, in other words, if you don't know, just admit you don't know. It's okay. And, and if you don't know something, that's, that's, that's the perfect time to ask those professionals, whether it be somebody you bought the horse from or another trainer. You see, so it's a good idea just to be very keenly aware of what you know, what you don't know. and and be humble enough to ask about those things that you don't. So that that to me is probably the biggest mistake that I see people make is they they are they're too protective of who they are and, and too protective of of uh, their ego. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking, man, when it's another being involved, especially this horse, and it's where your safety is involved, kind of check the ego so that you can really get the biggest bang for your buck, both in the transition as well as uh, in your education on from the trainer. Yeah, I mean, I would I would think that w- particularly in the the scenario you're talking about where a horse is in training and you're making the transition, getting ready to bring that that horse home, those last weeks or the time when the horse is in training, that's a great time for you to kind of expand your own knowledge by asking questions, by watching what the trainer does with your horse asking questions, being willing to acknowledge there are areas that you don't know enough about or that you want to learn about and taking advantage of of the professional that you've hired to train your horse. Right. And you know, and this is this is a little bit on the subject and a little bit off the subject, but I get really tickled at people sometimes, Laura. Uh, for example, I've got a horse in training right now with me and um the young girl that actually owns the horse is very humble, very honest with herself. She knows what her what her limitations are. 
She's always asking really, really good questions. And yet her father-in-law was the one that actually brought the horse to me. She was actually going to have him ride the horse for her for a while. And then he decided that, uh, well, I don't know if I'm going to have the time to do this. So let's just send him to van. Well, one day he came out to visit with me and he was watching me ride the horse for his, uh, his daughter-in-law. And he said, well, Van, you know, I would have done this myself, but you know, I've got a real job. And Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, and, and only because I knew him, I just looked at him. And I said, Lonnie, this is a real job. <laughs> oh, well, you, 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 you know, you know what I meant? Well, see, I, I got to tell you, boy, that is a pet peeve of mine because so many times I think that people fail to realize that trainers are professionals. We do what we do, not because you have a real job and I don't. We do what we do because <laughs> we do what we do because we spent a vast amount of our years working and studying animals and working and studying with other trainers so that we can do a very, very professional job on somebody's horse. We're not somebody's excuse or a or glorified babysitter because somebody else doesn't have the time. You see, and, and I that I, so that's one thing I want people to realize too, is that in order for that transition to go smoothly, you've got to be you got to be very respectful of where the horse is transitioning from. And he's not just coming from the babysitters. He's coming from a trainer or he's coming from the previous owner, both of which know more about the horse probably than what you do. And you really need to, to respect that. And if, if you do respect that, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck. And that to me is what it's all about. Is that when you feel really good about that transition, you feel really good about the relationship with the trainer, you feel really good about the new relationships you're going to establish with your horse, then the chances of success with that is going to be a heck of a lot better. And that's what we want. We want we want everybody to have fun with those horses in that situation. Yeah. And, and you know, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that there there really are a couple of different types of transitions here, because if you've had a horse with a good trainer whom you trust and, um, that you're willing to learn from, then that's, you know, that's a great opportunity to learn from that person, ask lots of questions, uh, kind of trust what they're telling you and, and put that into, you know, into your habits when you get the horse back home, however you want to transition into doing other things with it. But what about uh, the transition from when you've bought a horse from somebody else who's not a trainer and, you know, you can still ask all those questions. That person presumably knows more about the horse than you do, but you don't know, unless it's somebody you know really, really well, and they are, you know, professional breeders or whatever. What if you're buying a horse from someone, just an individual, you found the horse online, you've, you know, checked it out and had a vet check and all that kind of stuff. But you don't really know what that horse has, what its life has been like at that place, how it's been treated, and what the expertise of that seller is. What, right. what how, how is that transition going to be different? Well, number one, that's where it's really good to have a good foundation of horsemanship of your own. In other words, some of the things we've talked about in the past, be really good and as masterful as you possibly can be at your groundwork. Watch and observe how the previous owner handled the horse on the ground. And then I want you to go and start gradually incorporating what you know 
with the horse on the ground, asking him to see if the horse will flex his, and move his nose, uh, ask and see if the horse will yield his shoulders away, ask and see if the horse understands forward motion, and do all those things like we talked in a couple of previous episodes. Do all that from the ground first. I wouldn't just go climb on one. I mean, I tell people all the time, and I don't mean this negatively. Sometimes I say it as if it's, you know, to be a little bit comical, but the reality is, is it's the, it's the dead set truth. I trust the horse. I trust no human. Because when it comes to horses, I've just seen too many people either lie on purpose or they lie because they just don't know. And But the horse will always tell me what the horse knows, and he will tell me how he's previously been trained and or exercised or worked. So I want to find that out for myself. And so that's part of that, in, hopefully in the pre-purchase. And then after I get home, I want to call a really a follow a same format that I would do with a trainer as well as is when I'm buying the horseman individual. And that is, I want to keep things incredibly simple, mm-hmm. regardless of, let's say the trainer had the horse trained, or even you bought a horse that was trained to do certain things. And let's say it's something that's pretty complex, like flying lead changes, or it spins really well, or it's got a long sliding stop, or it really works a cow really good. I'm not going to immediately take the horse home and go start trying to do fly, long sliding stops or spins or flying lead changes or go work cows. What I want to do is I want to go back to almost the very basic type of stuff that I would ask my horse to do and make sure that we understand each other's buttons at that level. And remember in a previous episode, Laura, we talked about the habits of success. Mm-hmm. I want this horse and I want myself to create that habit of success. I want to ask the horse to do one thing that's incredibly simple. And when he does it, oh, good, there's a success. I don't care how simple it is. Then we're going to come back and we're going to do something else that's easy and and easy to achieve and, and accomplish. And bam, we've got that success. And before you know it, we're beginning to give each other pats on the back for being so darn successful together. And the odds of us creating a dynamic team of success works really good When we go all the way back down to the basics and we start developing our personal foundation built on the foundation we've established together on those successes, just being successful with almost everything that we do. And then a few days, a few weeks or whatever may feel comfortable for us. Now we can go back and we can do the things that we know the horse was trained to do which is maybe the sliding stops or the spins or the flying lead changes or the, or the work in the cows, whatever the case may be. But we can go do those more complex things with a much greater chance of succeeding because we've already created that habit of success, you see. Yeah. But if we was to just go up and start automatically start asking for a lead change and we might not have given the cue the exact same timing or in the exact same place as its previous owner or the previous trainer, and then we fall apart and we don't really get the lead change done, it's easy very quickly to blame the horse. Well, this horse isn't as well-trained as I thought he was. Or it's very easy to blame the tre- previous owner or the previous trainer going, well, darn, that guy didn't train him very well. He missed a flying lead change. Because heaven forbid we point the finger at ourselves first, <laughs> right? So it's easy at that stage to point that. But over the time, if you start out gradually, where does my foot need to be to get this horse to move his hips to the right? Oh my goodness, he did that awful well. So now, if it, that's where it took my foot to get the horse to move his hips to the right, that's probably going to be the same place my foot needs to be to get the horse to do a left-to-right lead change. So you see what I mean now about developing that basics and that part from the ground up, so to speak? And in doing so, in doing, in doing that, we make that transition 
much, much smoother, much, much less eventful, and most importantly, based on the habit of success. Well, that makes sense. So what are, what are some of the other things we should think about during that transition time, just before and just after we've, we've brought this horse home? Well, number one, before we bring him home, ask as many questions about uh, the horse as you possibly can. Even if it's your own horse and you've got him with a trainer, ask a lot of questions. Well, how do he do? And how's he, you know, on a day-to-day basis? And is there any special warm-up session that you normally do with him? And hopefully you found this out already, but it doesn't hurt to, to ask those questions again and repeatedly until you get the answers uh, that really make you feel comfortable. And the same way when you're, when you're buying a horse, ask a lot of questions. Be as much a part of that horse in the pre-purchase as you are, uh, w- as you expect to be when you when you finally get him home. In other words, be very interactive. Find out as much information as you possibly can. That helps you, and it also helps get you geared toward making that transition when you get the horse home. The other thing is we just we touched on briefly also about develop those habits of success, and then gradually increase the degree of your challenge based on that consistency of those previous successes. So those are the things that we really want to focus on in order to make that transition very, very smoothly. Is is that kind of what you're asking, Laura, about how I would kind of prioritize those maybe? Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of trying to understand you know, what are the important steps to think about before and after you bring the horse home. And, and I guess, I, I, I suppose, how long... It takes you to start, you know, go from the basics up to the more complex things. Kind of depends on your skill level, the horse's level, and and all of those sorts of things. That's you know that's that's exactly right. And see that to me, and here's goes back to my my personal same foundation foundation with the horses is always based on trust and respect. And if the horse has kind of been out of your care, either with another owner or or a, a trainer. That horse may have a tremendous amount of trust and respect in them because it's been more familiar with them of late than they have with you. So don't don't just automatically assume and, and take for granted that, oh, when the horse comes home, it's going to automatically respond to you the same as it did prior to you, you know, seeing him to a trainer, or he's going to respond to you just as equally as he did to the previous owner. Don't forget that oftentimes part of that very basic fundamental stuff we were talking about previously is reestablishing or sometimes just establishing that trust and respect, getting the horse to, to trust you, getting the horse to respect that when you ask it to do something that you do expect a positive, a positive response. So, and, and, and all of that really, I wish I, I wish there was a magic number that we could kind of reach up and grab out of the air sometimes, because what you just ask is very, it's extremely common because we're such a time conscious society and we, we tend to think about time a lot. And time is very important. You know, we manage our time when we're training horses, but we, but at the same time, we do so with a little bit more, I don't want to really use the word lackadaisical, but we do so with a little bit more casual approach. And the reason why is because horses don't understand time. We can't impose time on them. So when somebody asks me, so, well, how long should it take them before my horse does as good for me as it did with you? Oh my goodness, that's a tough question to ask. Because number one, I don't know if your timing is the same as mine. And number two, I don't know how the horse is going to respond to you, but the time isn't nearly as important as your consistency and your persistence. And then at the same time, like we say in our, in our four um, questions of success, which is number one, what do you want? Number two, can you ask in a way the horse can understand? Number three, 
How'd that work out for you? And number four, did you measure it? In other words, we want to find out when you measure it, did measure the amount of time that it took for the horse to respond to your aid. And and then you can determine then whether or not the horse should respond quicker. Does that mean you need to be more assertive? You see, so in other words, the, the, the time thing is a little bit flexible in the beginning, but we do want to strive to, to, to make that as, as good for us as, as possible. And so what if... What if you feel like the transition is not going as well as you would like to? What if you feel like things have, you know, you've been doing the things that you've recommended, but things just aren't going well, the horse isn't responding well, or you're, you, you don't feel like those habits of success are being built up? At, at what point, and I guess now I'm thinking more in terms of having brought a horse home from a trainer, because when you buy a horse, there's not a whole lot the seller's going to do about it. But at what point do you, do you say, all right, I'm, I'm floundering here and go back to the trainer and ask for help? Or I mean, is that a thing? Can you do that? Absolutely. At least a good, reputable trainer will. And also a good, reputable seller, you will also be able to. It actually touches on our last point of, of, this, of this segment, I guess you could say, Lauren, that is that follow-up. I think it's extremely important to always have a follow-up program. And I am going to use the word always in that situation for a couple of different reasons with a trainer. Number one, with a trainer, as a trainer myself, uh, I love to hear back from my clients. I want to know how things are going. Even if things aren't going smoothly, I want to know how. I want to know why. Because if things are going smoothly, I want to know about your successes. Share those with me. Nothing makes me happier than to hear the success stories of my clients. Um, we, we, we had a lady not too long ago that she honestly, Lars, she reminded me a lot of you when you very first come to me uh, years ago. Um, she really wanted to ride. She had, you know, kind of like in your situation, uh, she rode a lot as, as when she was younger. She finally reached a, a point in time in her professional life where she felt like she could get some horses and and kind of relive that that girlhood dream of wanting to ride and do things. And yet she found that um, she just didn't have the confidence she did when she was younger. So we spent a tremendous amount of time helping her develop her confidence and helping her develop uh, the situation with her horse. And it, it was a true success story, much like your situation was. And then just the other day, she sent a follow-up email. Hey, guys, just going to follow up and let you guys know. Everything with me and my horse is going great. I never knew I could be so happy riding my horse. It was a great, great success story. And you see, that made me feel really good because we worked very hard on both the client as well as the client horse on helping him them merge uh, together and, and kind of form a really, really good team together and letting her know that the skills that she developed, uh, that she was learning, that the horse already possessed. It was just a matter of of putting those two things together. So from my perspective, the follow-up was incredibly important. I would have loved the follow-up just to, just the same, even if it had not been quite as successful. I would have loved for her to say, hey, Van, I'm doing great, except for, and what do I need to do? And because we had spent so much time together, I could almost visualize if she would have said that to me, I, could, I bet you I could have visualized what she was trying to convey to me. Therefore, I could be able to communicate back to her what she needed to do to fix the situation. Why? Because we spent all of our due diligence, uh, or I mean, all of our uh, previous time together in doing our due diligence to develop a relationship between client and professional, as well as the horse, 
so that we would all be on the same page of communication. So that, that to me is why it's so important to establish that really good working relationship before the purchase, really good working relationship with your trainer. And at the same time, when you get the horse home, you can build on that relationship if you need to continue to do so. So that follow-up is, is extremely important. The follow-up will be even bigger and be even stronger, though, if you've established that previous relationship that we just spoke of. So the follow-up to me is incredibly important. The follow-up, though, Laura, can also be uh, in, the, in a pre-purchase situation or not a pre-purchase situation, but after you purchase the horse, hopefully you've purchased the horse from somebody that's reputable. So if you are having a little bit of trouble, you might be able to call that person and say, hey, I'm having this little issue. How would you approach that? And even that person, if they're really reputable and, they might, and they're not necessarily a professional trainer, they might just say, you know what? I'm not really sure. I've never really had that issue or, or else I don't know if I fully understand. Do you have a trainer you could work with? And see, either way, that's a good follow-up because it, it gives you an opportunity to understand what the limitations were of the previous owner. Therefore, what the limitations of the horse might be as well. Yeah. And then, you know, well, wow, if I really don't know how to fix it and I'm not really good at experimenting here, I don't feel comfortable with experimenting, then maybe it would be better if I consulted a professional for a lesson or two or, or a consultation or two. So to me, I think the follow-up is probably – it, probably the most important thing of that transition period of you know doing things slowly, gradually, building those habits of success, and then following up to let the uh, let the previous owner or the or the trainer know how things are going, or follow up with them to find out advice on how to continue to move forward successfully. So, I, like in probably any area of life, I guess transition times are really important, and in in the context of a horse and human relationship, that transition starts before you bring the horse home and continues after you bring the horse home. And, and the relationship isn't just between you and that horse, but also either the trainer or the person you bought it from. Lots of things to think about there and, and lots of ways to learn and grow as a, a horseman or horsewoman. Um, you bet. And Laura, that may also you think of one other situation. Whenever we transition the horse home, Think about if, he, if he's just coming home from a trainer and, he's, and he was at your home previously, then you can kind of put them back in the same type of environment they were used to before. Maybe. Kind of depends on if the environment's changed or if you've, if you've changed horses or moved fences and that sort of thing. But remember, when you're buying a horse and you're bringing him home for the first time, you want to transition him to even your property in a very good, safe, and thoughtful manner. Because just because he was at the pasture at his previous owner doesn't mean he would be okay and safe in the pasture in your facility. You've got different sounds, different smells, different sights, uh, your, your maybe different fences. And you just don't want your horse to get out there and get excited, get frightened, get scared, and maybe run into a, a fence that he didn't know that it existed, didn't even know where it was. Um, so you might want to put them into that transition at home a little bit more gradual too. Normally what I'll do, um, I'm not a big stall person. I don't like to keep my horses in stalls. It's not that we don't people, but I, there's, I, my personal success with my horses has been, they're just happier creatures when I can keep them outdoors as much as possible. So, uh, however, when I'm transitioning a, a horse that I've just purchased or sometimes even a client horse, I will put them in a, an extremely safe environment first. Maybe their very first night, I'll have them at home in a stall and usually have them at home in a stall with other horses around them. The next thing I'll do is I'll put them in an outdoor pen that they can see lots of stuff. They can hear lots of stuff. They can kind of get an idea in a very safe 
fenced in environment, usually a pipe type fence for me. They can see how uh, the different noises and all the different activity that's going on in this new place to them and give them a chance to get accustomed and adjusted to that. And then I might gradually put them out to and just keep expanding their ter- territory, so to speak, until I've got them into the place that I normally want to have them in as, as their quote unquote permanent, permanent place. But I just want to make sure that that transition is always as safe for them as possible. Well, and that raises another good question. What about, does anything need to be done in terms of transitioning what they're, what they're fed? Oh, absolutely. Almost always, I will recommend to find out what the horse is eating before. And let's say, for example, they might be eating, oh, some sort of local mill feed. It's a pelleted feed. And even though I might feed something similar at home, for example, I might be feeding Purina Strategy. But if the horse is not eating purity strategy where he, where he came from, then I might just ask that trainer or might ask that owner, could I buy a couple of bags of that stuff from you? Or can you tell me where you get it? And I'm, I'll get a couple of bags of that. And then I'll just gradually transition them over to the feed. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time horses do a little bit better on their roughage. So I'm not as concerned about transitioning from one roughage source, their hay source, to another. Unless, of course, it's going from straight alfalfa to grass or from grass to straight alfalfa. Uh, so I, if that's the case, I'm going to kind of mix and blend those a little bit until I get the horse on what his regular diet's going to be. But ideally, it's a good idea to transition those horses slowly, like either seven to 10-day span. And if any questions at all, consult your veterinarian, which actually brings up another issue. Make sure the horse doesn't have colic issues or ulcer issues as you're making that transition, because if he does, you want to make that transition even smoother and slower, which is another good reason to consult the veterinarian just to make sure. There you go. Lots of um, sort of practical, logistical kinds of things to think about when you're bringing a horse home, either for the first time because you've just purchased the horse or bringing it back home after time at a trainer, thinking about the feed, thinking about the environment, thinking about the the ways you interact with the horse and the cues and all those sorts of things. Any, anything else we should think of? Well, this, I'll, this one thing that just reminded me of just a moment ago, we recently had three horses come from the same facility and um, all three horses were coming into training and all three horses were obese. I mean, they were way, way too fat. We're talking about like fat pockets over the withers and fat pockets over the tail head area. And I just want folks to realize that whenever you're transitioning the horse from home to a trainer, it's not always a good idea to have them that fat. Number one, it's hard on the horses physically because they're going to go into work. I'm, you know, because you're not going to be happy with me if it's oh, we're going to spend the first thirty days just kind of getting them physically conditioned. You're not going to be happy with that because we have to work in the the physical condition part with what you expect the horse to learn during that time. So that just makes that that time and that transition time for the horse, just a lot more difficult. The other thing is, is that whenever you get the, like in my case, I've got these horses now, they're looking really good. They're looking fit. They're looking very athletic. They really, really look nice now. They, they've been in a lot of hard work here the last few weeks. And uh, now they're looking like, almost like athletes. They're looking really, really good in my opinion. But we don't want to send them home. And I'll advise my clients this. We don't want to send them home and have them immediately going back to pouring the calories to them like crazy, and then dropping the activity level to almost nothing. 
so that transition is also important. I will encourage and advise my clients on how and how much to feed them over the next few weeks after they get them home. And gradually, if they want to see their horses fatter, which I wouldn't recommend because, like I said, I've got them looking really, really good and athletic. But if they do want to see them a little bit fatter, you don't want to do that by pouring the calories to them too much too fast. Um, Because, again, that transition might be a little bit more of a shock to their system uh, than what they're really ready for. It might cause some colic issues. It could even cause some other types of health issues. So just make that transition back to your normal feeding schedule gradual. Anything we do feed-wise, we want to do on a very gradual level. Just to avoid, like you said, colic and other kinds of health issues. Yes, because sometimes horses can colic sometimes because of nothing more than just mental stress, believe it or not. So we want to kind of keep everything as smooth and as easy in that transition as possible so that we keep the mental stress down and, of course, keeps the physical stress down as well. All right. Well, good stuff to think about. Um, if, if you're listening and you've got more questions about how to transition your horse from one place to another, from one role to another, you can uh, ask those questions and get some answers from Van. You, as always, you can post your questions in the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page, and, and that way the answers can be shared with lots of people. Or if you want to ask privately or give some private feedback on this episode, you can email Van at info at vanhargis.com. He sees those emails and will respond either to you personally or maybe address it in an upcoming episode or maybe both. Occasionally want to ask people to help us out by spreading the word about Ride Every Stride. If you're finding this podcast interesting and helpful to you, maybe you know some other people who who would benefit from it, who would find it interesting. So tell your friends who are interested in horses about Ride Every Stride. Show them how to subscribe and uh, let them become part of this conversation as well. Uh, Van, anything coming up that people should know about other than just to watch the website and the calendar there? Anything well, one thing in particular, Laura, that's very important to me, and you, you've heard me talk about this just recently, um, one of our neighbors down here, a young man by the name of Cole Ort, 14-year-old ranch hand that uh, uh, had a, an accident on the ranch, uh, broke his neck, and or actually separated his neck, and at, at this point in time, he's quadriplegic, and uh, we are having a benefit for him down here in South Texas, here in the Victoria area, everything ranging from a live concert. Uh, all the proceeds are going to serve Cole and his family. Live auction, silent auction. We're doing a horsemanship presentation here with uh, with uh, we're, what we're calling Cults for Cole. We're going to be doing some cult starting things, and all the proceeds from that event are also going to Cole. If you'd like to learn more about that, check out our website. We will very soon have on our website uh, what we're going to call Cole's Corner on the website, which uh, which means that all of our products. Uh, some used products, some auction type products are going to be on there, and folks can uh, can check that out. And if they would like to see those uh, or purchase those items, they can do so. And all the again, all the proceeds go to uh, Cole Ort and his family. Another thing, Laura, is I just want to remind everybody too: we we do have a tremendous number of things coming up. This is spring, very very busy time of year for us. I'd like for folks to check check out our website, find out where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing. Uh, at some of the expos in particular, please come up and say hello to us. Let us know if you're listening to the podcast. Remind us if there's ideas that you'd like for us to cover and talk about, because that's what the podcast is all about, trying to address issues that our listeners most want to learn about, hear about, or laugh about, or even cuss about. <laughs> so uh, we, <laughs> we would love to, have, uh, love to have their input with that. 
And lastly, Laura, again, I just always want to express my appreciation to you. The podcast wouldn't be what it is without the help that you provide me with and, and being such a great co-host. And our, our, we know our listeners appreciate that. And of course, we also appreciate our listeners. And um, with that said, Laura, I just want to remind everybody, visit the website and, uh, and, and always remember that it's your ride, it's your trail, it's your journey. So ride every stride. Mm-hmm.